Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Fellow conspiracy realist, tonight we return to you with a classic episode about... uh, how things can go wrong in the pursuit of fame. We've talked a lot about cults. We've talked a lot about cult-like or cultic organizations. And not too long ago, we learned about something called, how would you pronounce this? Nexium? That's it. Mm, yeah, it kind of reads like kind of Roman numeral you see at the end of a movie, uh, which may well be by the by design because it is a very Hollywoody uh, cult. Um, we covered this pretty early, not to be all late. We found out about it first, but it was kind of weird how early we found out about the story and then it became a documentary. We actually ended up interviewing somebody a little later. Sean uh, Bryant. Who, yeah, who was a kind of a person who had escaped this cult and he had some very interesting things to say about it. And I think for me, that was one of the most illuminating in terms of what it's like inside a cult interviews that I've ever been a part of. But this episode here is more of a primer on the whole deal. Hey, let's get into it. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is on adventures. And they call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Bolo Deccant. That's a little bit of an inside joke. I don't know if we'll explain it in this episode. Uh, but- yeah, speaking of Bolo, be on the lookout for uh, for more specific information about the tour that we're going on in October. Yes, the rumors are true. We are coming to a town hopefully near you on our first ever US tour. So check out we'll we'll have some more information. We'll also have uh, probably some promos running for it. You can hit us up directly conspiracyhowstuffworks.com with any specific questions. In the meantime, you are you and you are here and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. All right. We're here. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. It's happening. Bolo. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many of you had uh, had dreams of becoming famous or an actor or maybe a famous actor. Mm-hmm. Usually you don't have dreams of becoming an unknown character actor. Right. There are very few people who say uh, grew up in acting dynasties and, you know, they were a Barrymore or, or a Coppola or something and then they decided – I hate living up to my parents' expectations. I'm going to run away and be a CPA and chase my dreams. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is an interesting question too, especially here in the U.S. where the desire for fame is commodified. It's idealized. It's so common Mm -hmm. that it's an accepted part of stories in almost any genre of fiction and – you know, most people, it, it's similar to when we asked the question uh, about uh, whether or not you wanted to be an astronaut when you grew up. Oh, yeah. A lot of people do. A lot of people did, and a lot of people do. And fame, in its own way, is, is very similar. Many, many people aspire to fame through one avenue or another, and many of those people the vast majority of those people, do not end up attaining what they see as fame. Yeah, and and for a long segment of time, to be famous, you needed to have your face and your name on a screen somewhere. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that was on a television inside someone's home or on a giant screen where your projected image becomes either the the fantasy or the – usually the fantasy in some right – of the people who are viewing and looking at your face. Uh, And now that screen has moved to the palm of our hands as we walk around in in different ways. Now you can be Instagram famous or YouTube famous. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting how that has moved, but nothing about getting famous has really changed. That is absolutely true. So we find that the rough categories of fame – as we we understand it, let's just define fame very, very broadly as being known or familiar to a large number of your fellow human beings. Yes. For one reason or other, right? So there are a couple of different categories for this. There's uh, fame in the realm of politics. Sure. A president of the United States is always going to be Famous. They'll meet that definition of celebrity because a ton of people know who this person is. And they're on screen a whole lot. And they're on screen a whole lot. And then there are people who are famous in some sort of religious or spiritual sphere. Okay. The Pope is always going to be famous. Always. Right? And you could argue that that sphere has lost a little bit of power in an increasingly secular world or a little bit of prominence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, But – It's still an avenue of celebrity, right, or fame. And then, of course, there's the the world of entertainment, or the. And you could say you could say that famous athletes qualify as well in the world of entertainment. Oh, I would absolutely argue that. So I think they're related genres of that category. And then there is the much more controversial category that, again, people would say is in some cases very American, that is the category of infamy. Serial killers are often uh, romanticized, right? 
They're definitely, they reach some status akin to that of fame, right? Uh, and other great criminals. Yeah, people who find themselves in the news mm -hmm. for one reason or another. And by the way, when we say great in this sense, we just mean they have committed crimes of an alarming magnitude. We don't mean they're the kind of people you want to hang out with no. at your local Applebee's and get that two for 20. <laughs> <laughs> which, which Paul is salivating right now, <laughs> thinking about that. By the way, go to your neighborhood Applebee's. Oh, it's boy. a place to, to gather your friends and family for one of those special <laughs> occasions or just on a Tuesday, Applebee's. You're going to find <laughs> the finest beers on tap and some of the most delicious <laughs> chicken things uh, around. And um, – Oh, riblets. Oh, and riblets. Oh, God. Yeah. The riblets. How could I forget the riblets? <laughs> so we want to be clear. Applebee's is not a sponsor of this show. This is a, this is an ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> Paul said yet. Yeah, Paul jumped to say yet. Uh, this is an ongoing uh, thing with us mm -hmm. off, off mic. Uh, and maybe one day we can explain it in full. Maybe if we are on the big screen one day, in an interview, we can say, David Letterman, that's a great question. But first, let me tell you about our running inside joke regarding Applebee's. Yeah. Oh, see, I just see you driving around in a car with Jerry Seinfeld, and then you guys just show up at an Applebee's, and that's where the rest of the episode takes place. Why aren't you guys there? First, that's also a fantastic idea. I wonder what his, uh, what his opinion on Applebee's is. Hmm. Hmm. Because, you see, he did attain fame. He's Levels of, of fame mm -hmm. beyond most others. Right. He's one of the most famous, well-known living comics, which places him squarely in the entertainment industry. And today, while we're looking at fame, we're focusing on the concept of acting. Quite a few of us, when we were growing up, or quite a few of us listening today, uh, have aspirations to become actors, right? To be on-screen talent in the entertainment industry, uh, or are working actors now to one degree or another. And it's, it's no secret that this industry in particular is brutal. We did an episode yeah. exploring some of the darker aspects of this industry that uh, have recently and thankfully finally become the subject of public scrutiny. We'll see how long it lasts and whether there's any actionable punishment or consequences for the people involved. Yeah. And uh, we looked at an article from Wired 2013 to mm -hmm. get some kind of statistics about the state of the business of being an actor, mm -hmm. I guess. And also um, – the probability of someone becoming famous. Yeah, yeah. So brace yourself. Uh, in, in this article for Wired, a mathematician named Samuel Arbsman attempts to quantify the ratio of famous people to the ratio of non-famous people. Anonymous people? Sure. Regular old people. Regular old people, a.k.a. Us. Us, everyone, <laughs> yeah. And – he believed that an easy way to find the probability of anyone becoming famous in the most broad sense would be to note the number of Facebook entries in the category living people. 
And on January 15th, 2013, when he pulled this number, that category was 604,174. Then he divided this by the world population, which on that same day, January 15th, 2013, was a little over 7 billion people. Yeah. And so on that basis, he concludes that 0.000086 of the world population, or about 1 in 10,000 people, is famous. Okay, 1 in 10,000. That's still a lot of famous people. Still better odds than the lottery, though. Yeah. (laughs) But here's the thing. Most of the people that are watched on screen internationally in, let's say, big box office movies or in HBO shows or something that's been translated into other languages, Mm. they speak English. Ah, yes. Good point. Most famous actors, most of the most famous actors, we should say, do speak English. So we need to correct for that. The total of English speaking persons on the planet in 2013 was only 1.49 billion, uh, which means that 0.0041 or about 0.04% of the English speaking world population is famous or about one in 2000. Okay. Uh, And then back to actors. How many actors do we have in the States? Typically, one of the best ways to get statistics on a given profession in this country is to check with the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Oh, the old BLS. The old BLS. Not to be mistaken with BLT. Not near as delicious. Uh, The BLS estimates that the number of actors for 2017 was 13,560. That works out to about 271 actors per state. Okay. Which which we know is obviously not true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's got to be a lot higher than that. Even I feel like that number of people is just in L.A. There are that many actors just in L.A., I want to say, or at least twice more, more, three times more. Um, So if we take another group, the Actors' Equity Association, they had over 51,000 members uh, associated with them in 2016. So there you go. A lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, many, many more. And these sources don't agree. One of our questions has to immediately be when we're comparing sources, what gives, right? Yeah. One reason for the BLS's underestimation of the number of actors might be because they only count you as an actor if you have a current acting job. Okay, that would make sense. So there are 13,000 employed actors at any given moment? Mm -hmm. And they they also – Just as side note, we almost missed this one. Matt, how much does the BLS estimate working actors make per hour? Oh, man, I can't believe we missed that. The BLS says that actors make an average of $17.49 per hour. Mm, Again, average. Yeah. So that is what? Tom Cruise's numbers lumped in (laughs) with the one extra that got paid, I guess, $100 or $50. A day or something. Yeah. Yeah, so these averages are dangerous. These are far from accurate numbers. But uh, according to the Actors' Equity Association, which you mentioned earlier, Matt, fewer than 14% of actors were employed in 2016. And the statistics on actors not known to belong to the Actors' Equity Association is, uh, is still an ambiguous, nebulous number. But that number would likely be considerably worse because – there's not really a point 
to joining Actors' Equity if you are unemployed. So let's just do a a thought exercise. Well, besides the networking associated with it. Oh, which is huge. That's a great point. That's a fantastic point. Okay, so bracketing that, let's do a thought exercise. Okay. If we multiply that labor and statistic number by, say, let's just say 10, dream big, say 10, we can say that there were around 135,600 actors in the U.S., which still seems like a low number to me. And if we multiply that number by 0.0041 or by 0.04%, Arbsman's estimate of the percent of English-speaking people who are famous, we can conclude that there are about 56 English-speaking actors currently working who are considered famous. This is a pretty off-the-cuff estimate, and it sounds kind of low to me. It sounds very low, to be honest with you. But that many actors in all of the TV shows right now, there, it, and some it, of them would not be considered famous, really, unfortunately. Yeah. But there have to be there there have to be way more yeah. than that, yeah. way more, and especially with the explosion of high quality television. Especially if you're looking at streaming services mm-hmm. and all of the original content with new right. actors. Yeah, right. I, I would agree. And also, if we're looking at you know Instagram famous or YouTube famous. People who are famous on a specific platform. Yeah. So this is a situation where the final number is probably much higher, and that's great. That's a good thing. But the number of aspiring non-working actors, we have to remember, is probably much, much higher as well. What we're saying is any way you slice it, the odds of success, of reaching fame in the world of acting are very, very, extremely low. Way lower than you even think. Way, way lower. <laughs> way lower. Even with that, even with those numbers we just threw out there, you, uh, it, it's still it's not as bad as like winning the Powerball, the lottery. True. It's it's not that tough. But that's <laughs> that's a horrible comparison. It's very difficult. It's a demanding and brutal industry because it's an industry fraught with um, obfuscation. Mm-hmm. sexism, racism, and ageism, those are all acknowledged too. Yeah. They're part of the business. And then especially, and I'm not going to get on the soapbox here. I'm sure longtime listeners, I'm sure you know what I'm going to say. It's fraught with nepotism, which is a terrible thing and uh, makes for worse end results. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's this element of pay to play and all of these other things that you sure. can get into. Well, for instance, consider people who aspire to work at, for example, a publishing house or a high-quality fashion magazine. Mm -hmm. They will typically enter into that realm through a low-level position, often an internship, and that internship may be located in Los Angeles or in New York. Uh, And they will have to find some means of financial support just to afford rent. Yeah. In a terrible apartment. And (laughs) this means that there's a built-in, as you said, Matt, there's a built-in pay-to-play aspect here that that commonly pops up. And I want to take a note to say I really fundamentally enjoy a lot of movies featuring the actor known as Nicolas Cage. Okay. I'm on board with you there. His real last name is Coppola. Huh. (laughs) Yes, related to the same Francis Ford Coppola. And one of the questions someone asked me 
off air somewhere. I can't remember what I was, I was talking about, how I just love the insanity of the fight scenes and face-off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they said, do you believe that Nick Cage would be a famous actor if he were not in the Coppola dynasty? And I couldn't answer that question. I will answer that question. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> there we go. There is a there is a Nick Cage quality that you cannot get from anyone besides that man. I'm telling right. you. And it sort of it speaks to the uh way in which we judge the performance of American actors, right? Oh, sure. Have we mentioned this on the air before? The difference between European and American actors? No. Okay. So American actors often by and large are praised for their ability to consistently be themselves or their own brand in okay. whatever film you see them in, right? Okay. And even, you know, ones who are completely amazing, masterclass actors, uh, Al Pacino, for instance, is always some version of Al Pacino, right? A lot of those a lot of those uh, nuances that we see when he assumes different characters are still him doing the character. You're still getting Pacino. You're still getting Pacino, yes. And that's arguably what you're paying for as a studio. Right. And in the European sphere, often actors are lauded for a very different reason, their ability to be chameleons, right? Mm. To be so completely different from one fictional world to the next. So by that logic, for instance, Liam Neeson, despite being a European actor, fits into the American idea of a fantastic actor. What about some Idris Elba? Idris Elba. That's a different question. I haven't seen enough of his stuff to say, but most of what I've seen, he's recognizably Idris Elba. No? Man, I don't know if I agree, but let's go with it. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, you know, I, this is just an opinion. <laughs> I know, I'm totally, right? I'm totally just messing with This is just an opinion, but, <laughs> but so the, the people who become A-list actors who despite the odds or because of the nepotism reach that fabled position in the American zeitgeist, in the Western pantheon of entertainment, uh, they will have not perfect lives, but they do have a position in life that many, many people aspire to reach. And we have to ask ourselves, it's, it's such, again, it's such a trope. What have people done to get on this path? What have they done to get access, just to get noticed by a director, by an agent, mm-hmm. by someone they think that can provide them with opportunities? It's the age-old question, what would you do to be famous? And what would you allow to happen to you to reach that level? Right. However reluctantly, however against your better judgment, what would you feel coerced into doing? Granted, we don't we don't want to make it look impossible. Some people do luck out. Mm-hmm. Those stories of you know someone just being recognized in the mall. Those th- those things happen. Harrison Ford, I believe, got cast as Han Solo when he was doing some carpentry work on a set. Mm-hmm. And some people work hard, just not just uh, in the right place at the right time, but they're determined, they're tenacious. They are doing 80 hours a week of legwork, 
auditions, practicing, networking, character work, character yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over and over and over. And in that case, it's it's I would say it's disrespectful for the Bureau of Labor and Statistics to consider them unemployed. Yeah. That's a heck of a job, you know? And probably one of the most demanding. And For some then, reason, I want to put Steve Buscemi in there, but I don't know if it's right. I don't, Somebody who's just been doing roles forever and then yeah. finally like, oh, I actually get a show now in like 2010? <laughs> Big fan of his. Yeah, me way. too. Uh, so some people also network, as we mentioned. They're looking for opportunities and access they could not otherwise find on their own. Today's episode, fellow conspiracy realist, is about one of these groups, a group that purports to provide great opportunity, to provide personal and professional awakening, a group called Nexium. And we're going to dive deep into their origins and how it became a thing after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Here are the facts. So, Matt, we dug around and we went to the primary source to describe Nexium itself. 
Uh, it's spelled N-X-I-V-M, but it's pronounced Nexium. Yes. And what exactly are they? What, what What's their deal? Well, according to the splash page on their website, it's a company whose mission is to raise human awareness, foster an ethical humanitarian civilization, and celebrate what it means to be human. That sounds nice. Yeah. Aspirational. Yeah. Uh, it sounds familiar to other groups that we've discussed before mm-hmm. on this show. Uh, especially with, within the context of acting, it's making me think a little bit about Scientology. I see. Yeah, the idea of self-realization yeah. ultimately. And, and it helping an actor mm. become them, their true selves mm. in order to become the best actor possible. And if that sounds a little vague, they do go into further detail. Oh, yeah. Nexium is a community guided by humanitarian principles that seek to empower people and answer important questions about what it means to be human. The Nexium philosophy is expressed through a series of companies and initiatives, all of which were designed to broaden the way we currently think about problems and help create solutions for a kinder, more sustainable, ethical world. With unique tools that facilitate mm-hmm. success, both internally and externally, Nexium helps people realize the potential that exists within them. Okay. Admittedly, sounds pretty vague, right? Yeah, I, I don't really get anything. There are techniques that are going to help me become me uh, to my full potential. So we, if we were to spitball and speculate, we could say that one of the seminars or sessions might be something about confidence in social or business functions, right? Yeah, perhaps just in any interaction whatsoever. How how do you display yourself? Little body language, mm-hmm. some public speaking, uh, some maybe some ideas about how to frame what information you present. Sure. How to manage your reactions. Uh, Scientology does a lot of that as well, but. So do a ton of other things. We often call them life coaching yeah. stuff, right? Bentino Massaro had some of that stuff. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Or does. Mm-hmm. But on balance, this seems pretty harmless. Sure. Be- believe in yourself. Yeah. What's wrong with that? And we'll teach you how to do it mm-hmm. for whatever money. Right, right. It does have a price tag attached. So where did Nexium come from? It is the brainchild of founder Keith Ranieri which is how we found it pronounced in multiple media mm-hmm. sources. Ranieri. Ranieri. Uh, and it evolved from his earlier work with something called the Consumers Byline Incorporated. That's B-U-Y-L-I-N-E. That sounds familiar. Consumers Byline. You know why? Why is that? Because a byline sounds like an upline or a downline. Do you uh, know Why? Because it's a multi-level marketing scheme <laughs> that was broken up when it was investigated for being a pyramid scheme. Yes, yes. So Keith was born back in 1960 in New York. He graduated Rockland County Day School, a, a private school, in 1977. And he was thought to be a very intelligent young man. In 1982, he graduated from the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute with three separate bachelor degrees. Wow. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, he joined Amway. Oh, another one of those mm-hmm. byline, wayline, upline, downline. Down 
He is considered a boy genius at the time, a title he really leans into later in life. Yeah, he uh, he once had on his website that at the age of one, he was speaking in complete sentences, which is a huge achievement and good for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm skeptical, but sure, 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 it's possible. He taught himself how to play concert-level piano by age 12, which is a possibility. Also a possibility. Mm possible. So he spent about a year uh, from 1988 to 1989 working at the New York State Parole Board as a programmer for around $32,000 a year. And then he left to become a sales trainer for something called Prepaid Legal, which was a marketing company. Okay. Okay. And then in 1990 – he opens the consumer's byline that uh, you had mentioned had some problems. Yeah, it was a marketing club and uh, it would hook its members up. It would just give them all these discounts on all kinds of different consumer goods. And his partners at the time were Karen Unterriner, um, uh, not exactly sure how to, to pronounce her name, and Pam Kaffritz. Now, um, at this time, Pam is his longtime girlfriend. Pam, I don't know if they're still together or not. I don't keep up in the celebrity news, unfortunately. Um, I'm not sure at this time in 2018 mm-hmm. when we're recording this if Pam is still his girlfriend. I like that. you He may have evolved past that. Oh, yeah. I, I like how you bring that idea of celebrity back, right? Mm-hmm. The new – the true uh, – one of the huge religions – of our current society, right? There's money and then there's fame. Yeah. Right? By 1994, multiple agencies are investigating consumers' byline because, as you said earlier, Matt, they believe it is a pyramid scheme. By 1996, Keith and his partners settle with the New York State Attorney's Office to end the probe of consumers' byline. They don't admit any guilt. Nope. But they do agree not to promote, offer, or grant participation in an illegal chain of distribution scheme. Oh, well, that's nice. She said, we're not guilty. We also promise not to do these things. Anymore. And (laughs) as part of the settlement, Raniere agreed to pay a $40,000 fine. Yeah, $40,000. Not that crazy. Uh, Who knows how much money they were actually raking in. Right, right. Uh, there are no mm, – I, I don't know. I'm sure the courts found something, but I don't know what the real amount is. Yeah. And then everything changes in 1997 when he meets a person who later becomes influential in his life. Yeah, Nancy Salzman. She's a psychotherapist who is running the International Center for Change. And basically, Ranieri became her mentor and he started teaching her – these methods that he had been, I guess, thinking about or maybe was coming up with at the time and he called them rational inquiry. Yeah, yeah. She, she Well, she was kind of like um, subject zero for mm-hmm. what would then become Nexium. Right. And we're at that point in the timeline. In 1998, Raniere creates Executive Success Programs or ESP. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and it's later going to be named Nexium. Nancy Salzman is president and Karen and Pam also join up as partners. 
By October 2017, Nexium states that its seminars and programs have provided tools, coaching, techniques, and training to 16,000 people across 30 different countries. Raniere becomes a niche celebrity of his own, especially within the organization. He meets with the Dalai Lama on May 6, 2009. The Nexium group purchases multiple buildings in the Albany, New York area, but what is it exactly? From their own copy and from your accurate description, Matt, it sounds like Nexium is a life coaching organization, but critics and legal filings have referred to it as an MLM. A scheme? A pyramid? Yeah, a multi-level marketing scheme. No. Yeah. In 2012, the Times Union which is based in Albany, publishes a report wherein experts argue that Raniere is not a life coach and more of a cult leader. Yeah, and, not even an MLM, just top of the, mm-hmm. you know, chain guy and yeah. an actual cult leader is what th- this paper is saying. And you can read this article right now mm-hmm. if you Google it. And it's pretty good, but it definitely takes that stance. And I think there was there was an earlier article in the 2000s from Forbes that Mm -hmm. had some of his supporters say they had attended seminars or sessions and found it worthwhile. Oh, yeah. So we do want to be fair in that regard. Uh, So when they say he's a cult leader, they don't just throw the C word out and then let it it play. Uh, They have some specific accusations against him. Yeah, the article is titled Secrets of Nexium, again spelled N-X-I-V-M. And they go into allegations of all kinds of different sexual manipulation, both of uh, adults and Mm -hmm. also people who are underage, uh, women specifically. They're also – they go into these murky possibilities about illegal financing financing schemes within the organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are multiple interviews with people who have been involved uh, at one time or another with Nexium, And we have – Oh, they, they also speak about a relentless intimidation of anybody trying to break away from the organization. Does that sound familiar to any of the other organizations we've discussed in the past? Sure. Uh, specifically people who are questioning the internal practices of ne- Nexium, people who know how it functions. Or claim to. Yes. So maybe this is just a hit piece. Perhaps. Perhaps. Let's hold off judgment for a moment. We have to pause here and introduce another character in the story, one of Renire's most high-profile followers in Nexium. Her name is Allison Mack. If her name sounds familiar, that's because she's an actor uh, of somewhat of note. And let, let's talk about her, her backstory. So she was born on July 29th, 1982 in West Germany. She has been an actor for most of her life. Her first major role was in the Warner Brothers series, one that you probably remember if you're my age, just turned 35, uh, Seventh Heaven. And she played a teenage cutter, which was a thing that I had never seen before mm-hmm. in my life when I was at that stage watching it with my family. And I actually remember that. <laughs> wow. Because so, it wasn't a huge uh, role. Yeah, but it was, a, I guess, a groundbreaking or influential role mm-hmm. in the public discourse. And she continued as a working actor. Again, she's on the way. She's on a path to which so many people aspire. In 2001, she landed a role as Chloe Sullivan, one of Clark Kent's best friends in the popular series Smallville that went on and on for multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. 
In 2010, Alison Mack reportedly joined the Vancouver chapter of Nexium, along with another Smallville colleague, the actor Kristen Kruick. Mack rose through the ranks, eventually becoming the organization's top recruiter, attempting to recruit other actors of note, such as Emma Watson or entertainers like Kelly Clarkson and feminist writers into what she described as a, quote, human development and women's movement organization. Many young actors were joining up in hopes of attaining further personal and professional success. After all, Allison Mack is a star, right? Yeah, she's got to be doing something, right? I, I should mm-hmm. follow in her footsteps. Mm-hmm. Let me listen to what she's got to say. But then rumors of even more salacious occurrences within the Nexium organization begin to surface. So again, what exactly is happening within this organization at, you know, the events, maybe behind closed doors? We'll get into that again right after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Here's where it gets crazy. It's time to peek behind the curtain of 
Nexium. As it turns out, Allison Mack was one of the top recruiters for Nexium, but she wasn't just recruiting for Nexium in general, and she was not just hooking people up with acting gigs or promising them mm-hmm. the the sort of personal realizations that would lead to uh, more success in the entertainment industry. She was recruiting for two other inner groups just for women. One yeah. one was named Janus, capital J, lowercase Ness, like Loch Ness Monster. Janus. Janus. And this was the recruiting pool for something else, an organization outsiders were never supposed to know about, a secret group. And these recruits who went through Nexium, went through JNS, and joined this other group were of varying ages. They were entering a secret sisterhood, sometimes referred to as Dominus Osequius Sororium, or DOS. DOS? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or The Vow. Uh, the DOS, the Latin there, means something like the Obsequious Sisters. Okay. And it's it's a loaded term. In a groundbreaking report from October 2017, writing for the New York Times, journalist Barry Meyer details what women had to do in order to gain admission into this group. We do want to tell you ahead of time what we are about to, to discuss yeah. in this in this segment may be disturbing for some audience members. Yeah. Um, if you've had any experience akin to abuse in this realm, just go ahead and either skip forward or maybe just listen to the next episode. Uh, Here we go. So the first thing that happens is that they become or they call themselves and kind of take a vow to become slaves with the person above them, the, the woman above them within their hierarchy. And that person is going to be considered their master. And there are six of them, generally how it functions in a cluster. Mm-hmm. So there's one master and then six slaves. So seven people total. Mm-hmm. And these potential slaves, to, in order to join the organization, in order to join DOS, they were required to give this master, whomever that person might be, always a woman in this case, yeah. uh, they were required to give this person collateral. That's yeah. what it was called. These would be in the forms of naked photographs, uh, sexually explicit photographs, or other compromising material. And, and some people wrote down just past transgressions, things that they had done wrong, that they knew mm-hmm. were wrong, that would harm somebody else if that information came out. Right. Things that could harm their own reputation yeah. as they pursued celebrity yes. or things that could harm the reputation of their loved ones. And – The expectation here, the implication was that should they break the vow of silence, should they say anything about this group, that information would be exposed, leaked to the public. The word for this is blackmail. Yeah, but Ben, trust goes both ways. You know what I'm saying? I, yes. (laughs) I don't agree in this case, but yeah, I know what you mean. I don't agree either. It's just, that's scary. And again, it harkens back to another group. Mm-hmm. To the audit system, right? Yeah. Or the rundowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to record everything that you say when we're going through your darkest, deepest past. Mm-hmm. Just in case. Just for our records. Yep. 
So at this point, some of the people entering into this organization had heard they might receive a small tattoo in the process. Instead, they were told to disrobe and lay on a massage table, and they were ordered to say, Master, please brand me. It would be an honor. And that's a quote. That's not like a, you say something like this. That's the vow you take. Yeah, it's verbatim. A female doctor allegedly... Uh, a member of Nexium named Danielle Roberts, would use a cauterizing device to sear a two-inch square symbol below each woman's hip. And this procedure took about 20 to 30 very, very painful minutes. Yeah, and in some of these articles, you can read some of the women who joined this group describe the process where there are at least three other women holding down their legs and their arms while they're in this device, this chair. Mm-hmm. Um or massage table, I guess, and then the process of just screaming and disassociating as it's going on because they're in so much pain. Uh, it's rather horrifying. And, and this one with Danielle Roberts, is this is the one we know about, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are groups, there are Nexium groups all over in, in so many countries, in Canada and Mexico and the United States and other countries. Uh, these are, this is just the one group that we're aware of where this process took place. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what we what we find is that after being branded, several of these women, multiple women, allege that when, when they were in this dominant submissive relationship with their quote-unquote master mm-hmm. in this secret organization, they were coerced into sexual activities with Keith Raniere himself, who – oh, wait. They don't call him Keith, by the way, in the group. No. They call him the Vanguard. Which I think is a lame, lame name, lame nickname, the Vanguard. I would have really liked it if I was still playing EverQuest. Like (laughs) I would have thought, man, that's a cool name, the Vanguard. I like that. In addition to sexual exploitation for the pleasure of the Vanguard, uh, other women and survivors of this situation say that Mac and other members required them to do forced labor or menial task. They had to do this without question. Yeah. Didn't matter what it was, around the house chores, yard work, etc. And for this, allegedly, the Vanguard would then pay Mac or other masters. So if we're keeping count right now, that's uh, sex trafficking. And Blackmail. Blackmail, right, and forced labor if we're being held by the U.S. legal code rather than the vision of the vanguard. Jeez. I just can't say that name with a serious tone. But there's more, right? Additionally, he had very very rigid opinions on how people should conduct any aspect of their lives. Obviously, a lot of cult leaders, tales old as time, are very controlling people. So – what what was uh, one of his other conditions that came out? Um, more trigger stuff here. If you've ever had an eating disorder or um, something to that effect, or ju- just know we're going to talk about some of that right now. So the Vanguard apparently liked women to look emaciated. That was his thing. So he would he preferred extremely thin women. So the slaves had to stick to these extremely low-calorie diets. They would document every piece of food that went into their mouths. And as punishment for not following orders, women were a lot of the times forced to attend these classes 
where they had to wear fake cow udders over their breasts and people would call them terrible names and make fun of them for wearing it. And then they would even be threatened to be put into a cage because they can't follow orders. They're not doing the right thing and treated like cattle. Mm. Uh, they're being suppressive or they're being an obstacle to their own success. An SP? <laughs> right. Again. Yeah. And Nexium, by the way, did – or at least uh, the vanguard did use the term suppressives when he was oh, getting boy. into people's heads. At this point, it's not clear who in Nexium was aware of these activities nor how many people were branded because, you know, it's the inner circle of an inner circle. Mm -hmm. However, we do know that Keith himself was certainly aware. He sent a text message to a female follower discussing the branding, wherein he noted, quote, not initially intended as my initials, but they rearranged it slightly for tribute, adding, if it were Abraham Lincoln's or Bill Gates' initials, no one would care. We should mention that, the appearance of the brand. It's Yeah, it's, let's talk about it. It's his initials. Well, it's it, a yeah, K and it's, an R. In a, in a, it's a stylized K and a stylized R. Yeah, I'm looking at a picture from the New York Times. Uh, it's a woman named Sarah Edmondson who came forward with some of these, I, I guess you have to call them allegations, but who came forward to discuss these things after she was branded. Um, she showed hers. On, on the New York Times website and it just – it looks almost like an X in a way that has some extra little flourishes mm -hmm. to it. Uh, but it looks just like a terrible wound essentially. It's awful. Right. It's awful. Yes. And so far, uh, there hasn't been a conviction for this yet. So you are correct, Matt. We do, we do need to say that these are allegations. Technically. Yeah. You just got to hold back the vomit a little bit. So there's another controversy here. Like many organizations of this type, uh, Keith and his followers spent a great deal of time attempting to turn or compromise wealthy and powerful and most importantly, vulnerable people. And possibly influential. And possibly influential, right? Uh, and that is, again, a textbook, uh, textbook move from organizations that are like this. Two of its most notable successes in this regard are the Bronfman sisters, Sarah and Claire. They are believed to have squandered as much as $150 million of their inherited fortune on the organization. They are the heiresses to the Seagram's fortune. The gin. Mm-hmm. And multiple other things yes, at this yes, point, yes. we'd imagine. Uh, this $150 million price tag or heist of uh, their family's fortune included $66 million allegedly used to cover uh, Ranieri's failed bets in the commodities market, $30 million to buy real estate in L.A. and around the Albany area, $11 million for a plane – a jet, actually, excuse me, a Canadair CL600. That's a 22-seat, two-engine jet. Nice ride. Yeah. Uh, millions more to support uh, the barrage of lawsuits that Nexium would wage against people who wronged Keith and so, mm -hmm. oh, excuse me, the Vanguard in some way or uh, were seen as a threat. Yeah. And uh, the father, Mr. Bronfen, He's a billionaire. His name's Edgar, Edgar Bronfman. 
he he attended an Axiom session, and uh, after a little while, he came out strongly against the organization, and he himself uh, referred to it as a cult, which is something to note here because um, the sisters, that I, who I believe are his daughters, yes, that's correct, uh, came out and you know are shelling out all uh, now I don't want to say his money but the family's money mm-hmm. just shelling it out for this group that he believes is a cult and you'll hear people allege that what the organization when Nexium itself was doing was exploiting or leveraging the problems that existed in the Brofman family's inner relationships like gotcha. their dislike of their father right who's a billionaire he didn't that's one of the closest things a human being in this current system can have to godlike powers. Yeah. Right? So the idea then is that their agency has been removed. They have been brainwashed somehow into supporting this guy and that they are – I mean that's an interesting legal point. Are they complicit in these situations? We're about to find out. Yep. We know we mentioned uh, that excellent piece by Meyer in the New York Times in 2017. Uh, Renere noticed it as well. He read he read it and then he fled for Mexico. Yes, he did. Uh, by the way, it's called Inside a Secretive Group Where Women Are Branded. Mm-hmm. And he was he was partnering with some of his followers who already lived in a Mexican outpost for Nexium. With some, again, notable high-profile followers. Yeah. And he was found shortly thereafter in a Puerto Vallarta luxury-gated community living with several women. Authorities took him into custody on a U.S. warrant. Investigators said the women got into a high-speed car chase. Uh, at this point, we, we don't have more information about that, but we can only imagine they were also apprehended. Yeah. And so when he was arrested, he was transported to Texas and officially charged with sex trafficking. We should also mention that numerous sources state he was involved with three women uh, who were under the age of 16 at the time. Yeah, which is a whole other – I was going to say bag of badgers, but that's – Let's not take it. Yeah, yeah. It's just awful. It's a whole other thing. Let's at least save that one, yeah. So now he and Alice and Mac face a minimum of 15 years each if convicted. That's a minimum of 15, but it could go all the way up to life. It probably won't because there's still a ton of money involved here. Yeah, it should be noted. I think – I'm not sure if we even said it. Alice and Mac is also like caught up in the legal stuff. That's like you're saying they're they're both facing charges. Right. Yes, absolutely. And at this point – here in 2018, August, as we record this, the case is still ongoing. We do have the official statement from Nexium. They are on pause. Uh, Renere released a letter responding to these allegations as well at some point, but this is the official statement uh, from Nexium on their current operations. It is with deep sadness that we inform you that we are suspending all Nexium ESP enrollment curriculum, and events until further notice. We will be in touch with more information for anyone currently enrolled in upcoming events and programs. While we are disappointed by the interruption of our operations, we believe it is warranted by the extraordinary circumstances facing the company at this time. We continue to believe in the value and importance of our work and look forward to resuming our efforts when these allegations are resolved. 
Okay. All right. Uh, and short, simple, to the point. Yeah. Of course, they're going to elide the details of mm. the specific accusations. That's the word of your day, elide. Ben Bolin, tell us what the, what the word means. <laughs> okay, uh, elide, E-L-I-D-E. It means to leave or strike out, to omit. Perfect. So he didn't lie, but yeah. they did elide. There you go. The details. Okay, so Claire Bronfman was also arrested, and in late July, just the month before we recorded this, uh, she put up $25 million in cash and several high-end properties, including a stake in a private island in Fiji, which mm. is amazing to just yeah. own a private island, uh, as collateral on her $100 million bond. She faces racketeering charges in connection to her role in the Nexium functions, according to court documents. So she's going down more for financial shenanigans, of which there are quite a few. You can read more about that in an excellent article from, oh gosh, way back in 2010 on yeah. Vanity Fair. It's called The Heiresses and the Cults. Yeah. And there's something really important we have to mention here, Ben. Mm. There are a lot of people who would consider themselves uh, members or are members of Nexium mm -hmm. who had absolutely no knowledge of any of these things that were going on mm -hmm. and didn't even know that or didn't feel at all like this that like this company did anything besides help them. Right. Yeah, cuz again, 16,000 or so people participated. The majority probably just attended a handful of seminars and then left perhaps feeling better about themselves, perhaps even more confident. Maybe the Classes even have measurable positive impacts on their lives. Of the victims who have come forward, we also have to note that there are likely more who for one reason or another are too intimidated to take these stories public. Yeah, and perhaps they can feel em emboldened in a way or empowered by mm -hmm. having some of these stories come out. Um, and, you know, perhaps you were a victim and you can, you can be supported now. Mm-hmm. And what about the future for Renere, Mac, and more? As we said, there is still a ton of mo so much money at play, yeah. and it may be some time before anyone gets convicted. Uh, both of these individuals, Allison and Keith, pled not guilty. Uh, one one note about Renere's finances: that's that's going to be a, a huge issue for his legal team because apparently he did not have a bank account, yeah, nor a driver's license. And, of course, he started encrypting email and, and tossed his phone as soon as the New York Times article went live. And it's fascinating how much he, I don't know, he tried to give himself plausible deniability about some of that stuff. Right. Exactly. Tried to, being the operative phrase mm -hmm. there. Allison Mack, as we record this, is currently out on bail. Uh, she paid a $5 million bond and she is living at her parents' house. At this point, observers suspect Mack will likely attempt to plea bargain. This would not be out of the realm of possibility. She could claim that she, like her victims, was psychologically manipulated, coerced, and therefore controlled by the vanguard. And it's an argument that prosecutors or a jury may well accept. And there's something to be said there, perhaps. I mean, it, it, we say it's an argument because that's the way you would frame it in a court of law. 
But psychologically, there's there's some probably truth to that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then we have one more tidbit about Keith Raniere himself. Oh, yeah. His, his lawyers requested a $10 million bond and he was completely denied bail. And that was denied after June 5th of 2018. They filed it then. Mm-hmm. He was arrested on March 26th of this year. That's when they got him in, in Mexico and brought him to Texas. Um, Mac also, interestingly enough, in an earlier interview, she told the New York Times magazine that the branding was her idea. Whoa. Yep. And their trial is set to begin on October 1st of this year. So there will be more to come. This is an ongoing story. There's a lot coming out right now. The day that we're recording this, Mm -hmm. um, Catherine Oxenberg, who was a star on the show Dynasty, Mm -hmm. just came forward discussing her daughter who got caught up in the organization. Uh, So yeah, it's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening. There's going to be more news hitting the airwaves soon regarding this situation. And we would like to stay up to date. We'll almost certainly have to do an update once the trial goes through to see how that all shakes out. We'd also like to hear from you, especially if you are an aspiring actor, a working actor, uh, first Congratulations. It is a very difficult industry. Uh, Second, have you run into things like this? Have you seen organizations promising you some sort of access or influence or greater personal self-realization? If so, what are the names of those organizations? Do you think their aims were legitimate? Do you think there was something else at play? Yeah. Is there anything we could look into? Send it our way. And we'd like to thank you so much for listening. Uh, Noel, like all of us, is working on any number of secret projects. We can't wait to tell you about those. Uh, Paul, Matt, and I will at some point get to an Applebee's. We made a covenant. Uh, We did, for the record, uh, we did, for the record, if you follow us on social media, we did show up to that MUFON meeting. Yeah, we did. (laughs) Yeah. Matt and I went to the... Georgia chapter of the Mutual UFO Network. And I'll admit it, man, I was surprised by how packed it was. It was crazy packed. You walk into the library in Tucker, Georgia, you hang a left and there's a big meeting room. Most of the chairs are filled Mm -hmm. and people were were being very cordial and just listening. The meeting was run very well. Um, When you, maybe it's just the the vision that I have sometimes when you're talking about a group of people who collectively have some belief in the unidentified flying objects and aerial phenomena that perhaps we're all a little bit strange. I'm including myself in this group, by the way. Um, The human beings that were there in that room, assuming they're all human beings, I mean, it was so refreshing that I felt like we were all just regular people. Is that that weird? No, I don't think so. It was crazy refreshing. Lots of good people there too. And so we would like to follow up in the future with some of the details about MUFON in a a separate episode, maybe bring somebody from there to Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about their experiences, their inspirations, uh, who doesn't love a good UFO story. And then we found some other things that we thought would be of immense interest to you, 
Uh, some specific cases. Some specific cases, fellow listeners. Uh, if you'd like to hear a little bit more about MUFON or uh, our, what what we ended up doing there on that yeah. Saturday, uh, then check us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We particularly like to recommend Here's Where It Gets Crazy, our community page, uh, which is sort of a enough about us, what about you kind of thing where you can meet with the most important part of this show, your fellow listeners. We've got some excellent moderators. The meme game on that show, M-E-M-E, is A++ double good top of the line um yeah and if you know you do hit up an applebee's don't forget to get a mucho frozen strawberry summer squeeze um they're only there for a limited time you guys he's googling the menu (laughs) (laughs) yep chicken fingers are still there the shrimp wonton stir fries to die for so uh just don't don't forget it so And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.